back to that IGN Movies podcast, Keeping It Real. Reels of the Keepin'. <laughs> it's me and Roth Cornett. Yes, the long-lost Roth Cornett has rejoined us. Hi, Chris. Carl, though, is out of town this week. Yes, he is He is taking a birthday week for is. himself. He is... Uh, uh, I, I, I'm not going to share his age in case he Would wants to not. do that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so this week couple of big news items but the real treat of this podcast is it's something our non-stop you review <laughs> it's not our non-stop <laughs> review but it is our very special guest who we will uh tack on to the end of this podcast the one and only crispin glover that's right you guys might know him as george mcfly and back to the future but of course he's done many things yeah you know it's it's so man this interview is I'm excited for you guys. It's a long it. interview, long. so this our actual podcast. Even though we have several things to talk about, we're gonna have to probably keep it a little bit on the shorter than usual side uh, when it comes to me and Roth, uh, who we both are. We do have the gift of the gab, as the Irish would say. These are the facts as we understand. Plus, we're mostly drunk all the time, as the Irish would do. It's <laughs> <laughs> so terrible. I keep. I keep. Hey, so, I'm, I'm but, a Celt. But Crispin Glover dropped by the office a couple of weeks ago. Uh, his new movie, The Bagman, opens up on VOD this week. We have a review for it up on the site. We have uh, some clips from the film. Um, but uh, we talked to him at length about his career. He uh, told us about uh, some very interesting anecdotes from working on Back to the Future. We'll let you guys listen to that. We can always revisit that in a in a later podcast. But we, we talk about it at length with him, and yeah. it's really interesting stuff. So, uh, you know, if you want to hear that, it's going to be at the very end of this podcast. We're going to do it as usual. We used to, back in the day, like cut it into the middle of the podcast. Yeah. That seemed to irritate people, so oh. we're not doing that well, anymore. Well, let's not irritate the people as much as we cannot. Yeah, it's exactly. Uh, so let's talk about uh, last weekend's box office real okay. quick, where where Lego Movie remained the number one movie for the third week in a row. It made $31.3 million. Uh, so good. Three Days to Kill uh, was second place with uh, $12.2 million, followed by Pompeii, third place with $10.3 million. Uh, Chris thought Lego would be, we both thought Lego would be number one. He thought it would be number one with one billion dollars. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and I thought it would be uh, $35. So um, it was about in between the two of us. Uh, we both thought Pompeii would do better than it did. And uh, we both underestimated Three Days to Kill. So uh, I guess it's a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a Costner renaissance there, you know? Yeah. Well, since Chris isn't here, we'll call you the winner. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Um, let's talk about the week that was in geek movie news. First, the big news that Adam Driver cast as an unspecified uh, character, a villain, though we know that, in Star Wars Episode Seven, it's not been officially announced, but it's everything, everything but at this point. Even Lena Dunham, his co-star in Girls, basically tweeted her congratulations to mm-hmm. him, and she would be in the know because the scheduling apparently, reportedly was a was an issue, uh, you know, with his girls' schedule. So it sounds like they worked that out, and he's going to be the villain in Episode Seven. It's really funny too because in Scott just uh, Scott Calora put up his set visit from X Men. 
And one of the things that Brian Singer was talking about was that they didn't announce Quicksilver till really late because they were having so much trouble scheduling around American Horror Story for yeah. Evan Peters. And it's so funny because American Horror Story is also only 13 episodes. You would think it would be not that hard. That's why they are attracted to doing Especially this episodes. last season where Evan Peters had barely anything to say or do. He was Frankenstein, basically. Yeah. He was Frankenstein. So... But it's funny because one of the things that he did say was like, when it's another movie, we can take the number one position. But when it's TV, they have them contractually as the TV show is the number one position. Yeah. And it's crazy that Girls, which is rated, it listen, listen, this is whether you like the show or not, it's like two million viewers a week. Yeah would take precedence over Star Wars. Yeah, can you imagine if Adam Driver lost that? He'd be so... He'd be beside himself. Uh Michael J. Fox, speaking of Back to the Future, initially the reason that he wasn't cast, the reason that they started shooting with... um, Oh, good God. uh, Eric Stoltz. Thank you, Eric Stoltz. Was because of family ties, his commitments right. to family ties. And then they eventually, he what he did was he worked 24 hours a day. He would go there after family ties and shoot Back to the Future. Yeah, it was the same with, uh, I think, uh, Tom Selleck and Magnum P.I. Yeah. And... and uh, Although Pierce Brosnan, in his first time being up for Bond, um, was Remington Steele prevented was Remington it. Steele, and yeah. that's even that was even worse because Remington Steele was about to get canceled yeah. or had been canceled, and then the minute he was even associated with Bond, they, they brought it back they... and screwed him, and then he had to wait almost ten more years before he was Bond. And then they Bond. canceled it anyway. Very, no, yeah. like, you know, it, it's it not like it had. Not. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just a fascinating thing, but good for him. They yep. worked out the scheduling. Now, Who do you is think he? he's going to... I, They likened it to a Darth Vader. I, do you think he's just going to be a Sith Lord? I Could do. he be... Um, I mean, let's face it, he's... I'm sorry. No. He's, he's uh, not a, you know, classically handsome leading man. He's a character actor. He's got... Uh, you know, a, a very interesting kind of face. Um, do you think, are they going to bury this guy underneath a bunch of makeup? Or are we going to have, <laughs> like, I don't know. You know, I mean, he just, he does have a, a very interesting kind of bone structure to his face, which would probably be something fun to work with for I mean, makeup. I don't know. He's also really th- slender, yeah. which that kind of body type. And tall. And tall. And that kind of body type works really well for a suit. Yeah. Um, really slender and tall is great for that. Um, I don't know. I do think that, look, they likened it to Darth Vader, and that may be just a PR marketing tool to be like, yeah. it's going to be awesome. Remember how much you love Vader? It'll be that cool. Yeah. Um, or it may be that he has kind of a, there's something about him that's torn between the light and the do dark you think, side. Do you think he could play one of the offspring of, like, you know, you had that theory earlier today, didn't you? Have a theory that he was going to be Han and um, no, like, I was like, I, I think it would be kind of weird if he was Han and, and Leia's kid because, again, like I sound like I'm picking on the guy, I'm not, but I just thought he'd look different, you know. <laughs> I think that what could be interesting if he was one of the offspring is, is that if part of his story, what if he's Luke and Leia's kid? <laughs> then we're we're going a whole different track with Star right. Wars. Star Wars Kentucky style. I kid. <laughs> I'm gonna get so much. I'm really kidding. I'm from the South. Um so So she speaks <laughs> from experience. So I know. I am inbred. So I can tell you exactly what it's like. Um so, <laughs> so in There any we go, event, it's back. The bell. The bell in any is event. Back. I think it could be interesting in the sense that if it was 
sort of a Vader-like story that if he was driven by things like jealousy, right? Like, but haven't we seen this? Like, we had two uh, a whole prequel trilogy about. We haven't seen it done uh... excellently. Um, <laughs> I don't know, or or he could be a Sith Lord that's covered in makeup. You yeah, know? like a North Maul type. I like the I like the villains that have a little more to them though that aren't yeah. just like I am motivated by evil. Yeah, you know, I like. Them. It would be kind of cool to see him play. You know, somebody maybe who wanted to be a hero and the and dark side gave yeah. him the chance that, you know. I mean, the thing is, the first three films are a redemption. They are the hero's journey for Luke and they're a redemption story for Vader. That's just way more meaty and interesting. Yeah. You know? I am curious what, what this story is going to be. I mean, uh, or how much maybe from the expanded universe will they actually borrow from it? I don't know. We'll we'll wait and find out. There's going to be a deluge of, of casting news because uh, in the next few weeks because it starts filming in April. You know what else starts filming in April? Tell me. Fast and Furious 7 will reportedly yeah. resume production now. Uh, they've they've uh, reportedly worked out a way to retire Paul Walker's character without uh, killing him off. Um but uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, getting the gang back together in April, um, and Which then probably about six to eight weeks of production in Atlanta. Yeah, that's kind of what Kurt Russell. I I did an interview with him, and he he said, yeah, I think it's around April that they're gonna. I mean, it makes sense that they would want to because then it's pretty much exactly a year until it's supposed to open. Mm-hmm. So they, I mean, they got to get back on track with that with that film now. I mean, it's regardless of how they're going to have to write up Paul Walker's character, there's not going to be any easy solution to it. So better to just get on with it. And I think everyone will forgive you for whatever narrative gaps in the story, because it was an unprecedented bind that they were put in. I mean, I think horrible tragedy, obviously. Yeah. I I think that they have, uh, there were rumors that they had started to do pickup shops or like, uh, not part of me, not pick up, do a, like Like second unit, second unit in Dubai a few weeks ago, which I wouldn't be surprised if they had. But I think, you know, yeah, I think you're right. I think the big test is going to be, can the, can the audience members who love this franchise get back on board? with kind of the pure fun of it yeah. without being tainted by the memory of this very sad thing. Well, it'll be a year and a half since his death by the time the movie comes out. So I feel like at that point, the audience will be, you know, and there'll have been movies of his that will have already been posthumously released. So I feel like at that point, the audience will have, uh, they'll be ready for it. Um, let's talk about some other News this week, uh, I'm just going to rattle off a few things real quick. Uh, John Thorne, who wrote a movie I quite like to call How I Live Now, is going to be scripting the uh, Sandman movie for Warner Brothers and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So good good luck to him on that one. I. This is just a really quick aside. I'm excited about Sandman done. <laughs> I can't wait. I love You know what else series. you're excited about? Yes. The Smurfs 3 being fast-tracked no. for release next summer. And this one, this one, unlike the other two Smurfs movies, uh, is going to be fully animated. It's not going to be a hybrid animated live action like the last two, where they had like Neil Patrick Harris and so. Yeah, I know. Wait, I'm just because I was actually, believe it or not, I was on the set of Smurfs too. Um, (laughs) I was. I held a mallard and Asriel. But they were saying at the time when they were talking about the third film, it was actually. 
they, it was described as an origin story of the Smurfs. Like, no, really, like it was going to take place. How they came in, to like, be? Like, do they come out of like the primor- primordial? No, ooze? no, it's going to deal with like the the Gargamel family and like how why they hate the it's Smurfs. It's the Godfather too. Yeah, of, it's like of it's Smurfs lore. Like, this is like, how the fall of <laughs> yeah. Michael Gargamel like, and the rise of Vito Gargamel. That's why I was making a face because I was like, oh, I guess maybe that's what they're going to do, and like it was going to take place in like the Dark Ages when the Smurfs were. I kind of like that. <laughs> I think it kind of sounds kind of fun, you know. Uh, just too bad those movies are so horrible. I don't know if they are still gonna if that's the track they're going on. But. Well, on some other sequel news, Ted Two, uh, Amanda Seyfried is reportedly in as the new love interest, and Mila Kunis might be out entirely from the sequel, but at least in a very diminished role. Uh, I guess. Uh, you know, her and, and Mark Wahlberg's characters didn't live happily ever after. Thanks probably to Ted. That, that's um, a, that It's funny because that is an old sequel trope where they replace the lady and they bring in a new lady because the idea is that it's not going to be interesting unless there's this whole right. like burgeoning romance. And then films stopped doing that and they allowed a relationship to play out yeah. over time, which I always thought was a more interesting choice. Well, it's I thought they did an interesting even twist Anchorman on that. Too. In, in, exactly, yeah, yeah, Anchorman. But I thought Ghost Protocol actually did an interesting thing where you spend the whole movie thinking Michelle Monaghan was killed off, and then at the end, at the very end, we see that he just sort of basically disappeared because it would be safer for her. Yeah. Which actually kind of ties in with the events of that third movie where her life was imperiled and and it's like yeah i guess in reality he would just end it with her because she would always be a target so yeah. i thought that was an interesting way to kind of deal with that issue um let's talk about let me just rattle off a couple of news items the steve jobs movie that aaron sorkin wrote uh they're reportedly trying to get david fincher to direct it obviously you know fincher would be a great uh a great one to uh, get to direct it. A um, couple of other news items. Some breaking news. Uh, Minecraft movie. Looks mm-hmm. like it's going to happen. Warner Brothers. Uh, this just came in via deadline. Um, Jumping on that Lego bandwagon. Yeah. Yeah. Lego movie pulling down the big bucks. So they want to get going. And of course, it kind of makes sense considering what a phenomenon uh, Minecraft has been. Mm-hmm. Um, built-in audience built-in audience uh, merchandising yeah everything it's going to be huge Lego had that too but I mean I think ultimately why the movie is a success is because it's a great story really well told yeah so, and I it's mean, an incredibly funny movie it's so funny I was thinking about it children and adults on the way to work also uh, some big stuff coming up this weekend a little something we like to call the academy awards very exciting um, are you excited for this year i'm excited insofar as i thought 2013 was uh actually a very good year for movies mm-hmm. uh, and i think there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of very deserving films that are that are in the running um i think though and you and i did a, a kind of an extended conversation about this earlier that we can post uh, in this story, but um, let's give the folks a, a truncated version of it. Now, we think there are several locks. Kate Blanchett for Best Actress mm-hmm. for Blue Jasmine, uh, Jared Leto for Best Supporting Actor for Dallas Buyers Club, Alfonso Cuaron 
Best director? I think I think all three of those are pretty much locked. I think the only one that I have any wiggle room or question about is Jared. Though I think he will win, and I think he deserves it, is Jared Leto. Really? Jared Leto? Yeah. Not, there's not, a, really? There's always one category that is a total surprise, and I feel like it's often a best supporting. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow, I, th- I thought we just got through saying Leto was a lock. I think he is a lock. I mean, I think he's going to win. But, but you think but if anybody's going to be an upset, it's yeah. not going to be Best Picture. It'll be in well, one I of the acting categories. I, I don't think so. I, you and I disagree about the Best Picture. I think the Best Picture is dead heat between Gravity and 12 Years. And With 12 Years <laughs> probably eking out the victory. I think so. I think so. I I, I am of the, uh, the suspicion that a lot of Academy voters um, haven't seen 12 years, uh, although I, I have nothing to back that up except cynical suspicion. My feeling is, since you only need a plurality to win Best Picture, I think, given that the actor's block is the biggest block, I think American Hustle is actually going to be like this year's Shakespeare in Love or Crash, that sort of upset victor. Yeah, I I don't, but... I also I I wouldn't be totally thrown if yeah. if that happened. I wouldn't, you know, like if Dallas Buyers Club came out of nowhere, it's not going to, but if it came out of nowhere to win that that would be a little more shocking than Hustle pulling out kind of a last minute miracle. I really don't think it will though. I, yeah. I think it's been a dead heat between these two films almost since Telluride, which is odd because usually there's other films that come in, right. in the last several months to take over the race, yeah. you know. It's been kind of yeah, it's been a conversation basically about these two films since october yeah, yeah. so um but uh, any any uh, do you think the best actor race is is locked up is there you know everyone thinks mcconaughey i think mcconaughey is going to get it but i think mcconaughey is going to get it but that um i think chill to edge for if anything that he could he could maybe take it away from McConaughey, but right. I don't think it will. I said this in the video. I think it's a cumulative win for Matthew McConaughey this year yep. based on his whole body of work the last two years. And his whole body. And his whole his abs. <laughs> hey, let's not forget Magic Mike. Um, <laughs> but that could possibly happen. Yeah. I don't think DiCaprio will, though he, I think, wants to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think. And he was, God, he was good in that. He was. and But I think there's, I'm not convinced that Oscar will show Wolf of Wall Street any love. I think I think it was kind of a, a um uh, it was a big surprise that Jonah Hill got a best supporting actor nomination. Yeah, I mean if Jonah, Jonah Hill's had kind of a funny couple of years that way, yeah. you know. Super um, bad star Jonah Hill now has two Academy Award nominations. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long way to, from from the kid in 40-year-old virgin that walked into the eBay store to that. Jonah Hill, I mean, and it's funny, again, I like, I don't think he, I think that that category is going to probably be Leto, but I think that in another year, he really might have won for that, you know? That's what's great about this year, is that you're right, it's a great movie for film and performances. Well, uh, as we always do before we get to the the Crispin Glover um, part of the podcast, we're going to talk about Which is so what's amazing. opening up this weekend. Uh, we have nonstop uh, and Son of God, which is, uh, you know, get a lot of church uh uh going uh churchgoers have booked out theaters and screenings of it so it is expected to to perform quite well this weekend i think nonstop which we both saw and i think is a movie where liam neeson doesn't realize he's leslie nielsen in this movie and he's kind of (laughs) gone into that stage of his career that uh charlton heston and john wayne were at in the 1970s where they're like they're just doing things now yeah 
I mean, it's funny. I, I do. I did think about that after we saw the movie where I was just like, I wonder. Um, what was going through what, Neeson's head? Yeah. I mean, I. It was an easy paycheck for him. You know? But I wonder if he's not to some degree thinking, OK, I probably he made this joke about his knees only having a few few more action films left in them. <laughs> and I wonder if he's not really getting it all out of a system, you know, yeah, kind of like probably. just jumping in and doing the action guy thing for as long as he can and then maybe he'll settle to settle in and do some character work yeah i mean know? it would be great to see him go do another film like a kinsey or something wouldn't like that. that be i mean I, I kind of miss him mixing that up a little i love i love him as an action guy actually yeah. i think he's great great the gray is such a terrific movie yeah yeah um but i i would love to see him mix him up mix it up a little bit more and this movie could be a really fun guilty pleasure but it it goes a little too far. It's it's a little it's more guilty than pleasure yeah. near the end, but it's definitely it's it's uh, it's better than Speed Two. <laughs> you know that is our bet. It, that is, it our is kind of a, a it's I think it's going to be a, a midnight movie classic. You know? Yeah, kind I of mean, like in a snakes in a plane sort of way. Yeah, I mean it, it's not as quite as fun as that. I mean that movie was camp and it and it knew it. This is a movie where the director seems to know it's camp, but nobody in it realized it yeah you know? <laughs> like, he oh god god yeah it's he not plays quite it as so fun. straight you know like it's like he thinks he's denzel in flight yeah. it's like no you are leslie <laughs> nielsen in airplane i mean some of his scenes are so ridiculously over, over the, top, the top you know yeah. even the action stuff like where he's just beating up guys and well i actually like that i liked it when it, when the action got real over the top like that because to me that was the fun of the movie yeah. you know it's yeah. like how silly i can jump in a in an airplane that's crashing i can jump in there and this is in the trailer so i'm not saying yeah. anything jump in the air and shoot a gun straight like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. i'm that i'm liam fucking Neeson. how about that <laughs> so i think it's going to be number one with uh 28 point uh I'm, I'm gonna no i'm, I'm gonna say it's going to be number one with like 28 million and then i think lego will be a, a strong second place with about i'm gonna say 21 million and then I think Son of God is going to perform quite well. I'm going to say it's going to be in third place with about 18 million. Yeah. Uh, which all, you know all that of the the church. The honestly, the some of the rallying that can happen in communities oh, yeah. like that is pretty powerful. Oh yeah, no, uh, the, there have been a lot of movies that haven't been on the radar until the box office uh, estimates come in for the weekend, and yeah. this movie you hadn't heard about. Suddenly. Is all you know is is in the top ten, and some movie with huge amounts of promotion uh, is considered an underperformer. So I think Son of God. I'm going to say about uh, what did I say? Nineteen million, eighteen million, eighteen, eighteen million. Uh, what are your guesstimates for this Oscar weekend? This Oscar weekend, I think yeah, I think it's going to be nonstop at the top. I'll say twenty-five. Okay. Um, Son of God for seventeen. I don't know why I'm doing. I'm basically doing like the Price is Right with you. I'm okay. Like, One dollar. What do you think? Is Lego going to be second place, third place? Lego w last week was thirty-three, right? Yes. Um, I think Lego will make a tr make twenty, so second. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we're about in agreement in the in the ballpark range here of this stuff. Um, send us your your reader email at keeping it real at ign.com, including also. Uh, Thoughts on the Ver Veronica Mars stuff that Please Roth do. had mentioned uh, to us earlier. Um, also, uh, at Roth Cornette, you can tweet her your questions for the cast. Um, now, stay tuned for our very special guest, the one, the only, Crispin Glover. 
And you guys, sorry that I was so excited and such a little puppy with him. You're going to hear me go every two seconds. But uh, Crispin, because I was so excited by him. Look, it's a, <laughs> how often do you actually get to meet? Um, it's like meeting Willy Wonka. I mean, it, it was. And you guys, I was so beside myself. Plus, you're going to see in a minute, this conversation is so interesting. It's about what film itself is for. And we so rarely get to talk that way. It gets way. very political. There's a whole, there's, it It goes into some stuff. And you will never look at Back to the Future the same way again after he talks about his his big problem with the film, which he overall enjoys and is proud of being in. But, so stay tuned now uh, for our very special guest, the one and only Crispin Glover. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Keeping It Real. Uh, we are joined today by a very, very special guest, the one and only Mr. Crispin Glover. Thank you for joining us. Thank for you. This. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, you are also our very first uh, video podcast Good. guest. So um, <laughs> thanks for, for uh, you know, uh, doing that part of it. Um, you right. have uh, a new film called The Bagman that's yeah. coming out. Uh, tell folks a little bit about uh, your role in that. Now, uh, you and I had our, our own separate interview, but uh, as these things tend to, to run separately, we'll, right. we'll touch some of the, the same topics again. Um, uh, tell us about your role in The Bagman and who most of your scenes are, happen to be with. I'm, uh, I'm uh, play a fellow, well, is that works at this motel. The original name of the movie was Motel, and they changed it to The Bagman, which I think reflects the Robert De Niro character. Right. And uh, uh, my character has had some interaction with that character, although you don't see, see that. I, there's references to it. I refer to it. Uh, and uh, m most of my scenes are, are with uh, John Cusack, who I've worked before, with before in... Uh, in Hot Tub Time Machine, That's where right. I played, <laughs> I also played somebody working at a hotel or something. We had kind of similar, but actually very different, both different characters, and there's a different tonality and uh, uh, different outcomes. My, my character ends up having a more antagonistic quality in uh, this film, in The Bagman. And it's, it's, a, uh, it's a straight up sort of a, a crime thriller, in a way, uh, a lot of, uh, Interesting characters that populate this. Tale. I don't know if it is so straight up. I, I think. It, well, I, well, I, 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 I guess I say it in a, in a way of that it's a, it's it's got the, an edge. It's not. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that it was. Um, uh, I don't know. It does. It does. It definitely. <laughs> it definitely myself. has the thriller aspects. Right. I just part part of what I think is interesting about it is that it's a little bit mysterious as well. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the crime thriller genre. I don't, I'm, well, I'm maybe I'm not as familiar with it as I should be. From from the trailers, I think it doesn't... It w from what you're saying in the trailers, it, it seems like there's more than meets the eye going on. Yeah. Particularly with this character, who seems like a very straightforward character. Just from the trailers. I haven't seen the film. I think that Jim I, has I'm seen the, the film. I believe I might be the only... Well, it's a Crispin here that, yeah. that knows the, the film. Um, your, your character has a very... Uh, um, it's an interesting way the first time we meet him. Tell right. us kind of about how you literally kind of come into frame. I, I you know, I, 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 it's not something that I, uh, you, you seem to have an interest in that. I and do. I, and, I, and, think, and, I thought and it was very interesting I, I, way to meet you. I, I mean, it's funny because the director was very 
particular about it as well. Uh, and it was something that was storyboarded. I, it, so it's not something that's on my mind. See, I, mean, I really I, thought it was something that you had invented. No, no, and no, no, no. Basically, John Cusack comes into the hotel. There's actually a bell that he rings, so oh, it's right. not that's an actual. We, yeah. we finally have another use for the bell <laughs> in this podcast. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, you just pop up. You've right. been on the ground the entire time. We'll find out later on why, but it, it makes your character that much more kind of uh, strange in the, a way. Yeah, there's, like the, there's, there's different revelations of things, like you're saying. I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I hadn't really even thought about it, but you do see me and you don't know exactly why I'm, I'm down, but then you discover that I'm in a wheelchair, but then there are other things that right. happen as well. So it, it is, it's, that's, again, that's part of what I liked about it, the dialogue and the just small nuances of re re revealing things are interesting, and that's kind of thematic within the film, where it's mysterious yeah. as to what's going on. Do you find that, I mean, you've mentioned that you worked with John Cusack before. You have had such a rich and diverse career, just as an actor, not to mention all the other things that you do. When you work with someone again like that, do you find that each time is it that you've established sort of a, a rapport, or does each time inform you even more? Do you learn something new about them, about yourself, about the yeah, world? Yeah, it's nice, it's nice to work with people multiple times. You do get to know certain things, and uh, uh, I, there's, I, yeah, I've worked, you know, at a certain point, I guess like 30 years or more now of, of working in the, the film industry, I, there's rarely a time I work on a film where I have not worked with somebody previously. Like, not maybe it's not somebody in front of the camera, but you know, like those a makeup person or wardrobe or or the director or somebody. It's it's basically you start realizing it is a very it is a very small industry or a small world, and uh, but it's nice. Yeah, I, I, I like that aspect. Um, it, tell us a little bit about your your uh, just acting with with Cusack in the scene. You guys, as you said, there is a, an antagonistic thing there, but it had to have been fun to kind of, at least on multiple takes and stuff, to find those new ways to kind yeah. of needle each other. Tell us a little bit about just working on those scenes with him. Well, it was, it's written, uh, it, it, it was well written in its subtlety of antagonism. Like, uh, and you, you were saying when we were talking before that it felt uh, uh, improvisational, it and it isn't. It it, it was it was uh, it was this the the words were st stuck with, and it was it was well written dialogue because it did feel organic right. in its in its writing. But we shot it uh, where we did very many <clears throat> takes. Uh, we were talking about digital versus right. uh, film, which it's quite normal to shoot digitally now. Uh, uh, there are high quality digital elements. This was shot digitally. And then I was starting to talk about, like I'm, I, I'm shooting my own next feature film right now, uh, which I'm touring with. People can find out where I uh, am with my, my shows and films on crispinglover.com. I'm touring with, well, two different feature films that I uh, premiered in Sundance in 2005 and 2007. What is it is the first film, Everything is Fine, It is Fine, Everything is Fine is the second film. And I'm on year nine of touring with these movies. Uh, uh, and it's uh, also 
accompanied by a live show that I, I, I tour with, which is, well, I have two live shows, Crispin Hellion Glover's Big Slideshow Part 1 and Crispin Hellion Glover's Big Slideshow Part 2. And uh, each of these live shows uh, consists of eight different books that I've made over the years that are profusely illustrated. As you can see, as I'm going through it, virtually every page uh, has an illustration on it. Do you do the illustrations yourself? Do you, yeah? Well, these are old books taken from the 1800s and reworked and turned oh, wow. into different books from what they originally were. So like this illustration, which is probably hard for them to see, I found that in Ghent in Europe, okay. uh, years in the uh, 80s, and then uh, late 80s, and then I... I re it was an old theater theatrical right. but it was I reworked it with graphite and it's it, it was it was a strange image in the first place but then I just I played played with it as well That's but but so the uh, the books or or this one called uh, concrete inspection which the original book was a, a book about inspecting concrete uh, there <laughs> There's, uh, you would have loved my old neighborhood. <laughs> would I? <laughs> yeah, a lot of busted concrete in my neighborhood. <laughs> but, but, uh, but the book, of course, uh, now is a family story uh, wherein a mother is looking for something and finds it. But, but the, the images were photographs I found in a, in an, uh, a used bookstore. No, in a, it was a thrift shop. And somebody, like a semi-professional photographer, had, I guess it looked like a, a lot of their work had been just kind of given away to this thing. And I found this photograph, series of photographs of kind of a model-y looking woman holding up things or looking through a trash. I couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> and I thought it would make an interesting story. But these, 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 these books I made mostly in the 1980s and very early 90s. And I started, pu I the published Rat Catching, my first book in 1988. And I published it in the official manner where I got an ISBN number. And uh, when I, you know, so I was a published author and publisher when I was 24, which I'm proud of. But I, uh, people said to me, well, you, you know, a book, uh, an author should have a, a book, a book reading. But if I just stood and read the text from the books, they wouldn't. They the illustrations are an integral part yeah, to, to the, the storytelling. Yeah. And so I have the images projected behind me, and then I dramatically narrate these books. Each show is an hour long, and then I'll show uh, the film. Either what is it, or it is fine. Everything is fine. And then I'll uh, have a Q&A, which lasts about an hour and a half, and then I have a book signing after that. I have, uh, a, I have a nerdy question, <laughs> if you guys will all, all we'll indulge, indulge me and, and the listeners, too. Because I feel like with your work, I mean, the books are deconstructions and then reconstructions of original works. And it feels like your films and, and your music and your books are all kinds of, like, comments on the medium themselves if that I told you it was nerdy no. um, <coughs> and I, I'm kind of curious about your approach is it is that sort of what you're aiming at well I, I don't know that I'm intellectually aiming at at that from the outset but I it, when I retrospectively analyze it I would say that the things on some level always react to something like 
you know, the, the, the book Okmat on some level is a reaction to what the original text was. If somebody found the original book of Okmat and looked at the text that was originally in the book that I used compared to what the, the original book's intent was, it's a very different uh, situation. Well, like Concrete Inspection has virtually no wor words in it from the original book. Rack hatching actually is the closest one that has a feeling to what the original book felt like, although the original book had no illustrations in it. But it was a book about how to catch rats and the, the author had a sense of humor. Uh, but, but, but the way that it was reworked, it turns it into something different from that. But it's the only one that has some similarity to what the original work was. The rest of them are very, very different from that. What from year that. did you pu uh, publish uh, Rackhatching? I published it in 1988. I made it in 1984 and 1985. It so took a when you time. were doing Willard, was, was that uh, something that they were aware of? Or <laughs> yeah, was what there, was funny was is, the appeal for you? what's funny is that they, they used a little bit in the title sequence some of the images from, from the book. When I got approached for Willard and I, I uh, knew I was going to do it, I thought, well, even if the film doesn't do well, it'll increase the sales <laughs> for rat catching, which it, it did. So I, I was happy about that. So you mentioned that you went through the, <clears throat> the publishing process for the first one. Did you abandon that? Did you abandon sort of the ISBN number? No. Or you, you just keep kept going? Oh, no. I, I do them all officially still with the ISBN numbers. I need to publish another book. I haven't published a book since 92. Is that right? Yeah, 92, uh, because I've, my filmmaking has kind of taken over the, the same, well, monetary aspects. My money's often tied up in, in the books, but I, I really need, eventually I need to publish all the books, and I've just right. had my money tied up in, in my own uh, uh, filmmaking. Which I start, which is what the how the topic started. We were talking about digital uh, shooting versus uh, thirty-five. Uh, I should at some point talk about what the content of both "What Is It" and "Everything Is Fine" are. Please. Uh, but uh, I, uh, which both were shot on film, and uh, I'm shooting uh, my next film right now. Uh, I just started shooting in October. Uh, I ha I'm not giving the title out right now because once you do that, it goes up on the IMDb and then there's yeah. all this misinformation <laughs> that happens and yes. it's just not good to do it. But it's a film, it's the first film that my father, Bruce Glover, uh, and I have acted in together. My father uh, has been in such films as Diamonds Are Forever, yeah. Chinatown, and, and Ghost World. Uh, and this is physically the first time we've ever actually ever in our lives acted together. It's kind of an uh, interesting experience. And you didn't act like in the first two films that you directed. No, right? I'm in uh, What or Is you, It? You are in What Is It? And my father is in Everything Is Fine. Uh, but uh, most of the actors in What Is It have Down syndrome, but the film's not about Down syndrome at all. Uh, what it really is is my psychological reaction to the corporate constraints that have happened, or the constraints that have happened in corporately uh, funded and distributed filmmaking, where anything that can possibly make an audience member uncomfortable is necessarily excised, or that film will not be corporately funded or distributed. 
And I think it's a very damaging thing because it's that moment when an audience member sits back in their chair, looks up at the screen and thinks to themselves, is this right what I'm watching? Is this wrong what I'm watching? Should I be here? Should the filmmaker have done this? What is it? And that's the title of the first film. What is it that's taboo in the culture? What does it mean when the taboo has been ubiquitously excised? I think it's a very damaging thing because to excise when people are genuinely asking questions, uh, well, the, ed the etymological definition of education means to learn from within. And to learn from within means asking questions. So if that's ubiquit ubiquitously excised in our corporately funded and distributed film, what, what, what happens? It, it, it ends up meaning it's the opposite of education. If people are essentially not having questions in their filmmaking experience, it be, what is the opposite of uh, education? It's propaganda. And well, I think, unfortunately, that's a majority of what's happening in our we, corporate we have film. Seen, <laughs> we have seen sort of the, the uh, lack of a better way of putting it, I suppose, the dumbing down of America. It's purposeful. It's coalescing a, with, with that exact it, message. It's, it's, pr it's purposeful. And it, we were talking a little bit about it uh, before. And I, I hate to become one of these actors that becomes like, political, but I, the, I, there is a political aspect to, to what I'm talking about because it affects art. I'm interested yeah. in art. And what, what unfortunately is happening is there is a corporate control. All of, all of our films are, of course, corporately funded and corporately distributed. So what, what we're seeing is, is that the, the interests, there are only films that are corporately funded and distributed which serve the interest of the corporations. And, and corporations aren't just, you know, it isn't like it was in the 1920s when there were people kind of like figuring stuff out. It's very controlled. Yeah. And, and, so, and so what happens is the messages are very specific. And when you say the word dumbing down, <clears throat> it's purposeful. And this is, this is where it, it gets political, but there is a specific thing that's going on that I think is ex extremely valuable and important. You know, I work in the corporate film industry. I don't mean to be like damning the entire industry. There's all kinds of great people that want to do interesting things and they want to do questioning thoughtful works. But there's a systematization that's gone on that ends up serving what the corporate interests are. There's a solution to it. And it, it ends up being a, a political solution. And there are people that want to do it, uh, which has to do with having an amendment that would be put into the Constitution about, uh, it, it, it's, it's kind of multiple steps removed from what I'm talking about, but it's very critical to get this done. It's essentially getting money out of, politi money out of politics. And there's a great uh, website. There's probably multiple elements going on, but one that I know of called wolf-pack.com, where you sign up, you can become active in it, but it's about getting this amendment passed. I don't know any person who is, is, is against this idea of getting money out of politics. It's obvious there's legalized bribery going on in our political system, and that ends up serving corporate interests. The corporate interests you know, that becomes this kind of abstract element, but it is extremely powerful. And essentially, corporate interests are power constructs that know that if people start questioning anything, right. 
right. anything, they'll get questioned in exactly what I'm talking about out of existence. And, I, and, and corporations don't have to be a bad thing. It can just be a group of people getting together to make a movie, for example, which can be great. But it does seem like fear kind of governs There's, there's something much, very yeah. negative going on right yeah. now, and it, ne it, it needs to be stopped. If it isn't stopped, it will get night... It already has nightmarish qualities, yeah. but it will continue to get worse. It's the nature of power organizations, and there's a corporate, a corporatocracy that is is. I mean, you can call it many different things, but there's something very negative going on that that genuinely needs to be controlled. And the only way to control it is to get money out of politics. It's imperative, and if it doesn't happen, it's it's going to get truly horrific. Right. I mean, it already is. But And that ends up, the reason that I'm interested in it is because what is it was reacting to this way back in 1996 when I started making the film, I realized that there were constraints going on in the corporate film world. You know, every and, and it isn't it isn't 100%. Every once in a while, there'll be a great filmmaker that's stuck with what they're wanting to do and somehow they'll get something interesting across subversively or something. I, I, my, my, my nature is not, um, I, I can't deal with it. Like I would just get angry. I'd say this is stupid. And so I, I have to go and fund my films myself and tour with them, self-distribute them. We've seen like the 90s indie film industry yeah, basically I mean, is gone. But, I mean, yeah. it's not. But there, yeah. there does seem to be, I think that, I think that there's, what you're saying is very interesting, and I think that there is probably a very interconnected element to, the, to this. But you mentioned the 20s. In the 20s, there were films, Brunel was doing things that were questioning the very nature of what a film was even supposed to be or do. You're talking and about Brunel. Yeah. Yeah, Brunel's amazing, yeah. And then we saw that go away kind of with the studio systems that were in place. And then we saw it come back with the French well, New Wave. I mean, is there not just... It waxes and wanes. Right. Like, like Stanley Kubrick is another great example of somebody who is an incredibly, first off, an incredible cinematic master, but also made some of the most questioning, mm -hmm. beautiful films ever. And he was working not just in any corporate system, he was working in the studio system. But that was, you know, he was coming up from the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, and he, well, he's a very particular I I individual. But there, there were people that were letting that kind of filmmaking uh, be, be greenlit, essentially. And there are different things going on right now in the corporate systems. It's, there, there was, when, I, when I was 16 uh, and I learned how to drive, it was 1980, and I would go to all of the revival houses that were so popular in Los Angeles at that time. And of course, the movies I was seeing were movies from the 1960s, 1970s, or 20s and 30s, but what I was seeing were films that were questioning things. Mm -hmm. And I was very excited as a young actor to be like part of this industry that was questioning things. And then I started acting in films and I was thinking, where are these questions? And uh, I had a very specific uh, situation when I worked on Back to the Future where I, I I wasn't given the screenplay before I um, acted in it because really? they were concerned. Well, I probably could have asked, you know, insisted on it, but they were being careful about the, um, the you know, they didn't want things leaked. It, that just had started happening around that time where they were getting very particular about that. So, you know, and I was, <clears throat> I was 20 years old 
and uh, yeah, I was excited to be in a big Universal Studios uh, Steven Spielberg movie. I didn't know when I auditioned for it that I'd be playing the older characters. I only read for the one scene that was, took place in the 1950s. And I was very happy to get the, the part, of course. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't really get to analyze the screenplay until I was actively working on the film. And then I saw things that were in the screenplay that ended, there were different version, drafts of the script that changed to while we were shooting. There was something, I won't go into too much detail about, but there was something that I had a, a particular amount of questions about and I think I wasn't the only person that questioned it because it got changed. It was about the alternate coming right. back. And, I, uh, and they did change that aspect. But there were more aspects that were underlying in that same element that had to do with <clears throat> monetary reward for the character. For the character. So you're talking about at the end of the movie where we see a new George McFly yeah. who's wealthier, he's published, he's happier. He's, yeah. The, the, ha the happier was fine to me, yeah. and uh, the idea of the characters being in love I thought was excellent. But I thought I saw that if there was a a, a kind of a financial reward uh, where the the son character cheers because he has a truck in the garage, <laughs> I thought I thought that the moral aspect ends up being that money equals happiness mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I, I I questioned that and that was met with a lot of hostility and uh, uh, upset and I, you know I was a 20-year-old idealistic actor I didn't end up being in the sequels I mean it's more complicated than that but right. it had I, it, I'm, I'm certain that it had something to do with my questioning of these things there was a lawsuit because they had taken another actor and they they took the molds of my face from the original uh, uh, film for making the old age makeup and they uh, uh, they put prosthetics on another actor false nose chin and cheekbones and interspliced a very small amount of footage uh, of me from the original film with the other actor in order to fool audiences into believing that I was in the film and because of my lawsuit there are rules in the Screen Actors mm -hmm. Guild that make it so this kind of thing is not uh, uh, allowed to happen anymore. So I'm proud of. They're, they're, yeah. Well, they're not, the lawsuit didn't that change? Basically, now they cannot use somebody's likeness in that no. way to indicate because the indication was that you were in the film, but you weren't. Yes, that, that's yeah. the key element. Was sometimes people mix up that that it was about um, me being upset that. Uh, I don't know that I wasn't in the film, or because because of course the producers go on to the well. There's one producer in particular who's made made things up that just aren't true. Bob Gale has st said that the reason that I wasn't in the film was because I was asking for what Michael J. Fox was getting, which is is total false. It's as false as the prosthetics that were put, put on my on the, this other actor's face to make him look like me. So it's the same kind of creative thought process, but it goes right into propaganda. The pro propaganda is essentially fooling people into believing that there's something good for them uh, 
but, but is actually in the interest of the, of the corporations. Yeah. I mean, you can call anything propaganda. You could say what I'm saying right now is propaganda. I mean, you're just, it's propagating an idea. But the kind of propaganda that I, I'm speaking of that I think is very damaging is the propaganda that is making people at large feel that what's being put forth to them is good for their own interests. But in fact, it's actually best for the corporate interests and it ends up hurting the people at large. And I, unfortunately, I think, even though there are very positive things about Back to the Future, there's very good story structure, there, were, there was good writing within it. And it uh, my argument was if we just take out the element of wealth as a reward and it was only that the characters were in love, I would like the film altogether wholly yeah. if yeah. it was like that. But and unfortunately, would still be happy. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's what the key element was. But I was a naive twenty-year-old person. Of course, the the uh, idealistic, but it, it was naive. You know, the the the, the screenplay had been uh, um, you know uh, approved, and they're not going to do something like that. But I I, it was I, like I product I, placement you, for the truck too. Well, <laughs> Who, maybe I, I, I don't know. It's pop. I never, I never put two that's, and two, to, that's two a, together, though, about that message. I've seen that movie. How, how many times have we seen this movie? But, but that, that's, what, that's, you know? what good, that's what good propaganda is. See, now, now, now there will be thousands or millions of people that will hate me for saying that. I've seen it. I've said this before, and people get very angry about, about this kind of thing. And I don't, it's not like I hate, I'm glad I'm in the film, you know, and I, I, I don't... <laughs> I'm not. I'm not looking to like disparage no. anything. But 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 because it, but because it very much, uh, of course, had an effect on my entire life. Uh, ultimately, I. It's something I'm. I'm very pointedly aware of. The other. The other kind of message, though, is not just is that he, Michael J. Fox, gets a reward because he gets the truck. Yay! Which is a big message. Like I got the truck, but it's I, also I think that he if just you wants just wants the truck so he can hook up with his girlfriend at the lake. <laughs> I think that was. It's <laughs> also that if you if you lived your life the right way the first time, you'd be rich. You'd, yeah, you'd well, have here, all here, the power. Here, you would yeah. defeat your enemies. But here, here's I mean, it's what, an interesting thing. I've never thought about but it. But here's <laughs> what the better message is. I am a big fan of... It's interesting because I'm a huge fan of Here's Journey. I love Back to the Future, but I, this is really interesting Well, to think I mean, I, I understand There's there, there are good elements within yeah. the, the structure. I'm very interested in Here's Journey story structure, which was identified mm -hmm. by, by Joseph Campbell. Yes. And it's something that Robert Zemeckis and I'm sure Bob Gale are very well aware of as well. That's why what you can analyze it by usual, utilizing that, that Here's Journey story structure, and the he calls it an elixir, but that's the reward. If you analyze what the reward is you can understand what the moral of the film is and so uh, but Joseph Campbell is the guy who has the best message which is follow your bliss mm -hmm. and which means follow what it is that you love and, th and money doesn't matter I mean I understand very it, we live in a capitalist culture so money is a very um, relatable element who doesn't want to make a lot of money obviously it's it, it helps you do many different things accomplish things that you want to do but I think what Joseph Campbell was saying which is totally right is that if you are doing what you love 
and you find it interesting, then the money doesn't matter and yeah. money follows because you're or doing what you want to do. Or it doesn't. You're, 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 I mean, the, the relationship Well, it doesn't you matter if it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. follow because Confidence. you're doing what you love. Yeah, That's, I mean, but, but generally, you'll find because you're doing what you love to do, you'll have enough money for what you're genuinely enjoying. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a strange thing and it can be argued in a lot of different ways. Well, but. I mean, that that's kind of an interesting point too because do you feel like doing some of these, well, your work, I mean, do you care sort of about the commercial success of these films yeah, of, that I mean, you're making? Or? Yes, I, I, it's like, I, it's it's a complicated thing because again I work in the corporate film industry. I want to continue working in the for, uh, the corporate film industry, and I'm not meaning to disparage the industry at large. And I've worked with so many great people that genuinely want to do exactly what I'm talking about. But there is a systematization that sometimes people work the w their way through, but generally it's a very specific message that comes through from the corporate interests. And I think that slowly, especially if we get money out of politics, corporate control can be more um, help, helpful to the people at large and the people at large will have more interest and stake with what corporations are doing. In the 1700s, corporations had to get permission by the populace to exist, which that is how it should work. Because as it is right now, corporations, there's a kind of tyranny you p are put on hold. I mean, this sounds like a, <laughs> a, a, a stupid thing, but it's, a, it's indicative of the kind of time that you're, you're wasted. You're put on hold, you're, you, you, you're passed through different people, and I it's always the wrong one. But that's, that, that's, it's, it's something that you don't have control of. Whereas if, there was, if the money was out of the politics and people said, no, we cannot be put on hold for more than one minute. And that means that you have to hire more people and the money doesn't go to the, the corporate head who's making this gigantic amount of money. And these people are making sub amounts of money for having to like put people on hold because there aren't enough people working at the corporation. But that, that would be that the, the, by getting the money out of the politics, people would say, this is how, if you're going to exist, we, we need it to happen in a way that actually serves the populace at large. And that ends up running down into film and art because film and art would end up being uh, 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 funded by corporations or by people that genuinely want to be entertained with thoughtful, interesting things, which I think people actually want. I tour around with my shows and films and they want questions, they want nuances, they want subtlety and thought. And that's takes yeah. some uh, doing. Well, talk, talking <laughs> about uh, you know working in, in, in uh, corporate filmmaking, you were also in Alice in Wonderland. And, yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's a sequel coming up. Have, have uh, Tim Burton's not making it, but uh, yeah. uh, I believe James Bobbin is directing. Have they talked about bringing you back? Or I haven't. I haven't been approached about it. I mean, my my sense, my I tend to doubt that I'll be in it. I would be happy to be in it. I'd love yeah. to be in it. But I, they exiled you at the end. Right. right? I was yeah. exiled at, at the end, and so was the uh, Helena Bonham Carter the character. Red Queen, right? Yeah. Right. And of course, she and and uh, Tim Burton have children together. So I don't know. I, she she might come back or she might not. But yeah. I, I, I tend to doubt that they would bring my character back if they didn't bring her character back. But I don't know. I mean, 
I, and I, you know, I question about when I talk about these kind of things, I think, well, is somebody working at a corporation going to say, <laughs> what, this guy's awful. I don't want him to be in a movie. I think so, it actually I, makes I, a I lot of know. sense. And I, I, yeah. I think like what you're talking about isn't like the tyranny of all corporations. It's saying there need to be checks and balances within the systems to ensure that we're actually mm -hmm. not getting somebody somebody's message that's going to only line their pockets. I mean, yeah, it, it seems like yeah. so much yeah. fear, though. It's, it's like it, th there's everything seems to be governed by fear more so than than malice. I think when it comes to like it, the the at least corporately made movies, I think there's. It costs so much to make them. They're so deathly afraid of upsetting anybody that it's yeah. like it's the well, poor, well, and, and, and the poor quadrant approach and, to and filmmaking. Sp and specifically, though, th I do think that there, it isn't talked about. It, it's weird the way that propaganda works in the United States. And it, it, the, there's a great book that was written in 1927 by uh, Edward Bernays. It's called Propaganda. Edward Bernays is the nephew of, of Sigmund Freud. And the reason that Sigmund Freud was brought into the United States was because, his, or his awareness of his work was brought into the United States was because his nephew, Edward Bernays, who is the literal father of the public relations industry, meaning that when Bernays wrote Propaganda in 1927, he was writing it to rehabilitate the word. The word had started to get a negative uh, connotation to it after World War I. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, when it was said that the Germans were using propaganda uh, on their citizens, when in fact the United States was, a, uh, every culture right, does it. Right, every right. culture utilizes propaganda to control the, 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 the populace. But um, it, it wasn't made aware of that happening with that word until World War I. So Bernays was starting to try to rehabilitate the word. It's actually, it's an amazing book to read. You know, like 1984 is a great book, but it, and it's a great book of fiction written in 1948 where Orwell inverted the year. He was essentially making a comment on the kind of control that was happening in post-World War II Britain. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's great, it's a great book. Often that's what people think of when they think of the word propaganda or they think of Nazi Germany or they think of Soviet Russia. They don't think of our culture, but, but, but propaganda is every single political society utilizes propaganda. It's just, it, it's, it's how it is. I feel like it's ours is almost more of a corporate propaganda. <laughs> like if you buy these products, you will be living the dream. Like I, I went to Russia a few years ago, I get off at the airport, you know, a child of the Cold War, first time ever in Russia. First thing I see, giant Budweiser banners. Go outside, there's Coca-Cola trucks. I'm it, like, this is amazing. It, it, this it, is it, it, it's about. it yeah. is. It is true, and those are the those are the uh, banners uh, of it. But but it's very important to analyze further be, be, beyond that. That's why reading this book, Propaganda, is extremely, I think it should be a junior high school reading for every child in the United States. Because what, what Bernays is arguing, it's not an expose, it's an instruction manual. Uh, he understood that his uncle's understanding of the human uh, subconscious would be able to be utilized by American uh, corporations or media, American uh, academia and in the American government to control the uh, 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 populace of the United States 
I actually have the quote of it in that that bag. I can oh. if somebody can get that for me. Yeah. But but the it's the first two sentences of the book. But he understood that if he um, it, that the United States. Uh, could control the uh, through the U.S. government, U.S. media, and U.S. academia the thought processes of uh, the American people, so they would believe that what they were doing was good for themselves. But in fact, it was good for the thank you. It was good for uh, the, the the corporate systems. He he wasn't able to rehabilitate the word, and so he came up with the word combination public relations to replace the word propaganda. <laughs> so if you if you think uh, that you're talking uh, about public relations, just say propaganda. It's the same thing. It's, sure. But it's a perfect example but of that, how it works. We traffic word, in that every day. We do. And I feel like that word public relations has come to take on some of the earlier meanings and then the transformed meanings. Well, it's the same thing. I mean, you don't, yeah. don't, even, don't even pretend that it's different. Propaganda is a, a, a synonym for for public relations, public relations is propaganda. It's spinning. It's spinning and controlling the message. I mean, I think it's all. Uh, it, you know, the idea that there was the Iron Curtain. I always used to think that there was like the Velvet Curtain in the U.S., where it was more about making things look very attractive, um, no, whether they were beneficial giant, to you like, or not. Ours would have had like a giant eagle with like a lightsaber and like with a truck on fire. <laughs> That's but, 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 but it's also important to realize that it's, it's films. You, you know, we have metaphors in our films. So like, like I, I assume you guys work in, in, in genre movies. Yep. And again, I don't mean to be damning everything, no, but, think, but, but think, think about, uh, for example, movies about aliens. Mm -hmm. You have you have good like families that get together and they they will kill like these terrible aliens. The United States makes way more of those movies than any other culture. You have to think about the metaphor. What is being said yeah. uh, by by this? This is this is about Americans getting together and killing aliens. Mm -hmm. the, the, the other the, the, the major the major uh, thought process that's being put forth in in America. It's not the only thing, but a, a very major message. And this has been this way from the early 1900s and, and before, is to make American culture, populace, what, voters, although you don't vote for war, but essentially to feel comfortable with the United States being this policeman of the uh, entire world. And somehow uh, it's, it's bought up as, as correct. The rest of the world doesn't feel like this. I own property in the Czech Republic. That's where I make my, am making my films right now. I spend a lot of time outside of the United States. The people in the outside of the United States are very clear that the United States isn't really the policeman <laughs> of the world. But somehow we're comforted by things like it's subconscious, though. That's what the brilliance of, 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 of media propaganda is, is that you have, have space alien movies where people aren't, they're not thinking that I'm feeling good about my family protecting itself against space aliens, meaning I'm really feeling good about continuing wars in the Middle East. But that's what the purpose is. Yeah, the and then there's messages. a military complex yeah. that says, uh, that makes 
profit from this kind of yeah. thing. I so think this uh, is one of the most fascinating interviews. <laughs> yeah. I really we do because we never we we do, so but yeah, it's yeah. too bad because we don't talk enough about what I don't film see is this and what discussion. film does. I don't yeah. see the discussion anywhere in the in in the in media. college. Be, be, well, but I uh, feel like that was last uh, but, time but, we but, had those but, conversations. But, <laughs> but I'll bet you, I'll bet you, if you had a professor. Well, there's there's Noam Chomsky, but I mean, sometimes people will will question things about Noam Chomsky as well. But generally, academia also is you know the academia is funded by corporations as well. So if you get somebody that's going in working in academia that's going against this kind of message, that teacher will get uh, uh, taken out, and then the and if a student is starting to do these kind of things, they'll get a, a failing grade. So it's 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 in many different, and that's what goes on in this uh, Bernays. Uh, 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 I should I really should read just the opening sure, quote. Sure, sure. Uh, and before I do that, I should also say for uh, people to uh, go on to uh, CrispinGlover.com to find out where my shows uh, and, are. And the Bagman. Bag when man. when uh, when does the Bagman open, and where? Can I they think it's it? on the twenty eighth. The 28th and of it's February. opening in theaters, okay. and it's be able to be downloaded. Yeah, it's DOD as well. on the same day. Right? Yeah, day and, day. and and you know what? I know we're we, going to be debuting. A I know that we went, went into a lot of uh, uh, areas, but part of what we were starting was talking about the digital versus the film when we were shooting the Bagman, and we were talking about the organic quality of it, the way that the the lines were written left a questionability. Something in the film has questioning within it, which I enjoy, which is nice. And it was, it was independently financed by, by, by the director as well. So this is something where somebody can go in and, and have an autonomy over something that is enjoyable. And you can feel it in the film. Uh, you know, and I'm 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 on here to be promoting that. I I didn't mean to go totally <laughs> no, into I mean, all of these uh, uh, other things. Truly but, uh, interesting. Yeah, no, we'll close it out here with the with the quote from Bernays. Uh, yeah. As we will do from now on. Yeah, if, from I now on, on we'll if, I can, if I can find it. Uh, uh, and then some of these some of these other films, though, they think they can help support small, uh, you know, ar yeah. artistic endeavors. I think that is a benefit. Yeah, if they go to crispinglover.com, you'll know, have this, uh, the schedule yeah. of, of your uh, upcoming appearance. And and the, and okay, so this is the opening. And yeah, if anybody can <clears throat> just read this book, you'll you'll get a lot from it. <clears throat> the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. That's the opening two sentences of the book. But once you read this book, it's, it's like I said, it's an instruction manual that was written in 1928, and it was, it's been followed. He, he recommends certain things uh, that the U.S. government should do. There are certain areas that, of the government that weren't set up at the time that are now totally set up and gone way beyond what, what Bernays was recommending. But you'll understand how things work. You won't be able to see the United States in the same way again. It's, it's a very different uh, way that things are organized than we're taught in our schools. And it, once you realize it, th that's when you start to see how important it is to get money out of politics because it is something that will uh, have great resonance in day-to-day -day living and, and art. And that's where I originally come from. I don't like being a political person, yeah. but I see how it affects art, and I see how it affects messages and movies, and I'm passionate about that. So 
that's the other website. If people can go on to uh, wolf-pac.com and sign up, getting that amendment passed will really help things. And it's a long, it's a long road, but it's, it's, it's important. Thank you so thank much you. Thank for joining yeah. us today, for talking about your career I and all your passion. It. So yeah. thank you so much, Crispin Glover. Thanks. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>